Good morning and greetings from your sister Methodist churches in Singapore. Happy 63rd anniversary. I thank your pastors Ronald and Shern for this honour of sharing in your anniversary celebrations of God's faithfulness and grace. I have happy memories of the last weekend I spent with all of you at Trinity Penang. I think it must have been over three or four years ago by now, uh, I think during Pastor Yin's time. I was very disappointed that uh, COVID-19 safety concerns have not made a return visit possible for me this week. This is a very worrying time, of course, for all the countries of our world. And the future remains uncertain. Many of us have been asked to take early retirement or have been laid off from our jobs. Businesses have closed. Many more are struggling to survive. These are desperate times we live in. And so let us pray, as we did on Friday evening, the prayer of the Apostle Paul for the Thessalonian church, who are also going through a very difficult time. Paul prayed, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Indeed, Heavenly Father, we need your eternal encouragement and hope during these very worrying and uncertain times. We pray this especially for all of us who are feeling desperate and depressed. And we ask that you will help us as your church and as your children in your church to be strengthened, to do whatever little we can to encourage one another in this time of our desperation and despair. We pray this in the name of your beloved Son, who in, who in his distress on the cross cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Amen. I have contributed to your chosen anniversary theme, Ordinary People, by speaking from the Bible book we call Ruth. This morning, let me continue by sharing from Ruth chapter 3, where we meet Naomi and Ruth doing what they can to survive in the midst of the desperate times that they were facing. Let us hear the word of the Lord in Ruth chapter 3. I shall be reading verses 1 to 8. Lord, please open our eyes and our ears to see and hear your encouraging and strengthening word for us through this portion of your holy scriptures. Amen. The word of the Lord in Ruth chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. 
when he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me begin by telling you a story that ordinarily I would never tell in church. But since technically I am recording this not in a church right now, but in my own house, I'm going to tell this story anyway. And I apologize now for offending any of you who are listening to this in church. A woman came to the reception of a motel needing a room for the night. The receptionist said, Sorry, lady, the last room has just been taken by that man over there. The lady hurried over to speak to the man. Excuse me, sir. I don't know you and you don't know me. Nobody here knows us and we don't know them. Could you let me share your room tonight? The man looked at the lady and said, Miss, I don't know you, and you don't know me. They don't know us, and we don't know them. So, okay, you can sleep on the sofa. So the man and the woman settle in. The lady's on the sofa, the man is in bed. The lights are out. The lady speaks out. Sir, I don't know you, and you don't know me. They don't know us, and we don't know them. So could you let me lie down on one side of your bed? The man replied, Miss, I don't know you, and you don't know me. They don't know us, and we don't know them. So, okay, you can lie down on half the bed. So the lady gets in to the bed. On one side, the man on the other side. The lady speaks again. Sir, I don't know you and you don't know me. They don't know us and we don't know them. So would you like to have a party? The man turns to the lady and says, Miss, I don't know you and you don't know me. They don't know us and we don't know them. So, who would we invite? Groan, groan, gasp, but gasp, I apologize. I am aware that telling this kind of story in such a respectable audience as yourself is very questionable. Why then have I taken the risk? I do so because the Bible story we have just read in Ruth chapter 3 is just as risque. 
Listen again to the instructions that Ruth's mother-in-law gives to her. Verse 2, she says, Boaz will be at the threshing floor tonight. Now, the threshing floor is the place where men gather for drinks after a hard day's work. They eat, they drink, many of them doze off there on the threshing floor. So it is not the sort of place where respectable girls are to be found at night. In fact, in those days, the threshing floor at night is where harlots and prostitutes would ply their trade. Hosea chapter 9 verse 1 alludes to this when Hosea rebukes Israel for being just like a harlot at a threshing floor. Now, Boaz is also aware of this. And this is why if you look at Ruth chapter 3 verse 14, Boaz, Boaz is very, very anxious to ensure that nobody knows that Ruth had visited the threshing floor that night. What would they think about this? For a girl to be alone walking on the streets at night was an unwise thing. For a girl to be out alone at night at a threshing floor would really be asking for trouble. People would associate that kind of behavior with girls who are looking to pick up a man. So Naomi's advice to Ruth is, at best, questionable. Verse 3 seems to confirm our suspicions. Naomi tells Ruth to have a bath, to put on perfume, wear pretty clothes, and then she says, Wait till Boaz has finished eating and drinking before you make your move. This is advice on how to seduce a man. And then verse 4. How can I explain this without blushing? It's getting hot in here. Naomi tells Ruth to uncover Boaz's feet. Now, the Hebrew word here means the place for feet. It refers to the place where one can find one's feet. But in biblical Hebrew, the word feet was also used as a polite way of referring to one's uh, private parts. Just like in English, private parts is our euphemistic way of referring to, well, you know, our private parts. Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 25 is just one example where the NIV has translated this Hebrew euphemism for us. To offer your feet is to offer your body's private parts, sexual parts. Now, no scholar, no scholar questions that this Hebrew euphemism is used as such in Ezekiel chapter 16. But how about in Ruth chapter 3? The advice of Naomi recorded in Ruth chapter 3 verse 4 is ambiguous or debated. Does Naomi mean uncover his feet or uncover his much more than just his feet? Readers will continue to disagree. But whatever one's view on the meaning of feet here, Naomi's advice 
is still very dubious, very risque. She tells Ruth to wash and perfume herself, to go at night to the threshing floor and uncover Boaz's feet. She is advising Ruth to use her feminine beauty and possibly even sex to get what she wants. Amazingly, verses 5 to 6 tell us that the praiseworthy and outstanding Ruth of chapters 1 and 2 obeyed her mother-in-law. She went to the threshing floor at night and did everything Naomi told her to do. Cunning Naomi and beautiful Ruth. Poor Boaz. We half expect him to end up sleeping with Ruth and being forced into a shotgun marriage. But no, Boaz is outstanding. He acts honorably and compassionately. There is not enough time this morning for me to unfold this part uh, of the wonderful story. But instead, let me just develop the point about the actions of Naomi and Ruth, which I have taken pains to explain. Even if Naomi and Ruth had pure and noble motives, what she did would have been frowned upon in polite Israelite society. And Ruth could easily have been publicly disgraced and condemned by Boaz. What are you, kind of woman are you, throwing yourself at me like this? But that is not how the story ends. How does her story end? This is in fact the key to understanding the lesson of this biblical story. Let me explain. A pastor was listening to a speech during a dinner. The speaker said, Please join me in a toast to some of the happiest days of my life spent in the arms of another man's wife. And just as everyone was shifting uncomfortably in their seats, the man added, To my dear mother. Everybody laughed and cheered. The pastor enjoyed the speech. Maybe I can use that in church one Sunday. And so one Sunday, the pastor said to his congregation with a big smile on his face, Brothers and sisters in the Lord, I thank God for some of the happiest days of my life spent in the arms of another man's wife. The congregation was stunned. The elders sat up. Unfortunately, the pastor suddenly had a total loss of memory. He forgot the punchline. His smile turned into a frown, and he muttered into the microphone, Now, what was that woman's name? By forgetting the ending and the punchline, the joke completely lost its point. The ending is needed to understand the joke. If you miss the ending, you misunderstand the story completely. This is also true for the story of Ruth. How does it end? What is its punchline? It ends in chapter 4. The very last verse tells us that from Ruth's family line, 
would come Israel's greatest king. Ruth married Boaz and became the great-grandmother of King David. And we know not only the great King David, but also the even greater King Jesus. Ruth is mentioned in the New Testament in Matthew because through her bloodline would come King David and eventually King Jesus. That is how the story of Naomi and Ruth ends. Not in disgrace, but with honor. Now note how the story begins. Ruth begins in chapter 1 verse 1 by telling us that this incident, this story is set in the period of the judges. And the very last verse of the book of Judges tells us what kind of period it was. In those days, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Men did whatever they thought was acceptable. Many men did questionable things. And if I have understood Ruth 3 correctly, many women did questionable things as well. Whatever they thought was right in their eyes. What Naomi and Ruth did is to be understood at best as questionable actions. But this is the glorious message of the book of Ruth. In a very dark period of Israel's history, when many men and many women did questionable things, God was still working out his divine plan for the world still preparing the way for King David and ultimately King Jesus. Today we might see many questionable and sometimes blatantly terrible things that are going on in our world. And it is easy to be discouraged. It is even more discouraging when we see questionable and sometimes blatantly terrible things that are said and done in churches and Christian organizations. The book of Ruth does not excuse these things. It knows full well that even within Israel, even within the church, there are periods when leaders and people ignore what is good and proper and simply do whatever our spirits of rivalry and jealousy tell us is right. The book of Ruth knows how terrible and tragic life can seem when one is living in such a period as the days when the judges ruled. In such times, it is easy to feel discouraged. It is easy to think that there is no real future here left for us. But it is in precisely this kind of dark period that the book of Ruth comes to us from God as a beacon of hope. It comes to encourage us, to help us believe that even in the days when the judges ruled Israel, when leaders did whatever they wanted to, God was at work. Despite all appearances, God was in control. God's good and glorious purposes for the church and for the world will not be frustrated. Trust in God, our God still reigns. The encouragement is also very personal. The chapter focuses on the individuals Ruth 
and Naomi and Boaz. Ruth had a tragic past. She lost her husband before bearing any children. And we see how in her difficult struggle to survive, she resorted here to some desperate measures, a socially questionable action of throwing herself without shame before the respectable Boaz. The story is not intended to encourage women to throw themselves at men in an effort to get married, no. Ruth 3 was not written to teach single women how to use their feminine beauty to find a husband. Now don't laugh, I actually have heard such sermons. But this is not the purpose of Ruth 3. Nor do I think that Ruth 3 was written to allow us to do questionable actions just as long as it is for a good cause. No. Ruth 3 does not teach us that the end justifies the means. No. But what it does say is that despite any past mistakes we may have committed, despite the shame of chapter 3, our story need not end in disgrace and disappointment. Our story can end in the joy and honour of chapter 4. In other words, God does not stop at what we have done in the past, but wants to lead us on into a glorious future. This is a glorious message of hope and one that our world today of ordinary people in difficult times needs to embrace. In a small little town, there was a boy who played the piano and his dream was to play one day on a concert stage in front of many people. One day, a concert producer came to town. The boy hopes to convince the concert producer to take him onto the world stage. The boy's girlfriend also tries to persuade the producer to give the boy a chance. The producer promises to do so if she will sleep with him. She agrees. And the boy gets his chance. But the girl is left behind with a deep sense of shame at what she did. One day, she kills herself. Her suicide note stuck to a mirror reads simply, I am filth. There are many ordinary people in our world who may be suffering like this girl. Because of pressure or passion, they have done something in their past which they are now terribly ashamed of. Things they would not ordinarily do, questionable things, shameful things. The message of Ruth offers us hope. Ruth was a Moabitess and she acted like a seductress. And yet, by God's grace, she is part of the chosen line of King David and the Lord Jesus, part of the honour roll of God. Where are these ordinary people who feel such shame? We are everywhere. 
And some of us are here today. We have done things that seemed right in our eyes at the time. But now with hindsight, we know how questionable or even wrong those things were. And we feel ashamed. We feel condemned. I bring you the message of Ruth chapter 3. By God's grace, there is still the possibility of a future that is brighter than anything you may dare to imagine. Now, neither Ruth nor Naomi would have lived to see their descendant become King David. They would not have seen what a significant place God had given them in history. But today, we can see. And by faith, I urge you to believe that no matter how shameful or regrettable your past may be, by God's grace, you and I can play a part in a glorious future. Our life story can end just as the story of Naomi and Ruth ends in honor and glory. So let's not destroy ourselves with shame and guilt. Let's open our hearts again, humbly and honestly, and receive the amazing and liberating grace of God who holds our future in His hands. May Trinity Methodist Church Penang be a family of ordinary people who with countless other ordinary people struggle to get through the ordinary disasters and desperation of life in our ordinary world. We help each other and we help our neighbours. God loves us. Let us be God's love to one another. Amen. May I invite you to take a few moments quietly on your own just to pray. Perhaps the Holy Spirit of God will prompt into your heart the name of someone or the face of someone that you know who, who is feeling desperate, maybe feels ashamed, disgraced. Will you pray for this person? Is there anything that you might be able to do this week to offer them some encouraging word or good news of friendship and kindness and grace? Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace, the way you forgive our sins, our shame, past, present, and future. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of our sin, O oh Lord, none of us could stand. But with you is forgiveness. And therefore we love you, we worship you, we thank you for your grace. And we pray that you will help us to love you with all our hearts by sharing your love with our neighbors and with others who, like us, may suffer from shame and regret. Thank you again, Lord, for your love. We pray in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Lord. Amen.
And thank you once again for letting me be with you uh, over this weekend. Have a great Sunday in the Lord. God bless you.